This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. My name is Sarah Johnson. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to read to you now from 2 Samuel chapter 7, the story that Miss Ellen was just talking about. It begins in verse 1, and it goes to 14a. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Well, let us pray. O Lord, we invite you into these moments into this space into our hearts and our minds may we hear your words speaking to us through these scriptures may your spirit just move within us that we might hear what you have to say to us today amen so i have a friend who prayed fervently for a child and through years of infertility treatments and interventions and prayers she could not conceive It seemed to her that God said no, and it hurt. I have another friend who prayed fervently for the right job in the career field of his dreams, and after years of dreaming and planning and getting an education and internships and interviews, he found himself waiting tables at a diner. It seemed to him that God said no, and it hurt. I have yet another friend who prayed fervently for her crumbling marriage, for her unfaithful husband, that there would be a change of heart, and she worked hard for healing and restoration. And when the separation papers came, and it was inevitable, 
that this was ending, it seemed to her that God said no, and it hurt a lot. Popular culture tells us in these moments, they comfort us with words like, God's got something better for you, or what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, or there's that Garth Brooks song that I happen to really like (laughs) that says some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And while all of this may be true, it doesn't take away that sting of no. It doesn't take away the grief when it seems that God is saying no to our heart's desire, the anger that we feel. And it may be that God does have something better or that this will make us stronger or that one day we'll look back and say, thank goodness God didn't answer that prayer. But in the moment, it is hard to keep the faith. It's hard to keep on trusting that one, God is good and two, that God is there. So what are we to do? How are we to cope? How can our faith survive when it seems that God says no? Well, when King David was settled in his kingly mansion of cedar, he looked around himself and he thought about how far he had come. Now you remember we've been talking about David for the last several weeks and We remember that David, we meet him when he's just a little scrawny shepherd boy. He's the youngest of this brood of warrior brothers, and David is the one chosen by God. And soon he defeats Goliath, and he becomes kind of a young warrior himself and leaves his shepherding days behind him. But then, pretty soon, he becomes a fugitive in his own kingdom. He is hunted by the king who wants him dead. So David is sleeping in fields and forests. He's hiding away in caves for days at a time just to survive. And here David is now living in this palace of cedar. And David looks around and says, wow, look how far I've come. His own people had been made strong by his conquests, by his leadership. He was in charge of this vast and powerful kingdom, and now he was at peace and could enjoy the luxuries of his kingdom. Meanwhile, David thought, meanwhile, the Ark of the Covenant, this sign of God's very presence with us, is living in a tent As it had been since the days of Moses, God is living in a tent while I have this grand palace. And David thought, well, my fortunes have changed. That's probably what God wants too. So David decided it was time to build God a house, a fancy schmancy house, a temple. So David consulted the prophet Nathan, who confirmed, yes, go and do whatever is on your heart because God is with you. But that evening, Nathan had a dream, a prophetic dream, in which God gave a message to Nathan to give to David. And that message said, no, 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 David, no. You are not the one to build me a house. And in this message that God gives to Nathan, it gives us insights in how we can cope when it seems to us that God says no. The first thing that we learn 
in this passage is that God does not think the same way that we think. David assumed that God would want this grand temple just like David wanted this grand palace. But God says to David, when have I ever complained about my tent? God wanted his dwelling to be in that tent as it had been since the days of Moses. God wanted to be in this humble place where he could be on the move with his people. David had one idea of what God wanted, and God wanted something completely different. Now, I've had moments in my own life when I am convinced that I know just what God should do to fix that problem or help that person or heal our world. And I've even had the audacity to pray to God, God, if you would just do X, Y, and Z, all this would be solved. And then when I read this passage... It reminds me that God's understanding of a situation or a person is so vast. And it makes my perspective look as narrow as a caterpillar's view of the world. Here in this passage, David had to learn that God's ways are so much higher than and wider than and wiser than David's ways. And perhaps David's lesson can remind us, too, that whatever it is we want from God, whatever it is that we want to do for God, whatever it is that we are planning for our own lives, well, that might not be what God wants. And it might be the case that in the grand sweep of things, it may not be what is best for God, for us, for the world. The second thing that God does in his message to David is remind David of all of the ways that God has answered David's prayers in the past. And in fact, God has gone above and beyond what David could have ever asked for for himself. In verses 8 and 9, here's what we hear God saying. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the great name of like a name of the great ones of the earth. Notice who is the actor, who is doing the work. God has been doing it. God said, I took you from the pasture. I have been with you. I have cut off all your enemies. I will make your name great. God is reminding David that the plush palace he's enjoying is all because of God's actions on his behalf. Now, it's human nature for us to bask in our success and believe that we've single-handedly gotten ourselves there. But here is God reminding David, reminding us that every one of David's blessings and successes, every one of our blessings and successes is because of God. And David rose higher than he could ever imagine, ever prayed for himself because of God's vision, because of God's intervention, because of God's action. Now, I have found moments in my own grief or anger, or pain when God says no to me, 
And I found that the most important thing that I can do is go back in my mind and recall all of those times that God has been faithful, how God has acted on my behalf, how God has intervened in ways that I couldn't have even planned. I run through those times in my head like I'm going through an inventory. I recall the time that God miraculously protected me in that awful accident that could have killed me. I recall the time that God gave me wisdom and words to help that friend when I had no idea what to do. I recall how God brought my husband into my life. I recall how God brought me through the twists and turns that led me into ministry. And as I remember all the ways that God has acted, I also remember that in those moments that look so clear now, that in those moments, I had no idea what God was doing. In those moments, it wasn't clear that God was doing anything at all. So whenever I can inventory God's past faithfulness to me, it reminds me that as our lives are unfolding, we don't always see God at work. But I have seen enough of God's interventions to know, and I imagine you can say the same, we can be certain that whether we see God working or not, God is there. God is intervening. And I think that's what God was trying to tell David, and by extension us, in, in this message from the prophet Nathan. God is saying, David, I have been with you through all of this, through sleeping in caves, through facing a giant, through shepherding your family with you. And I have done more than you could have imagined that I would do. And though it seems like I'm saying no now, remember what I've done. Remember who I am and trust that I will do it again. And that's exactly what God does for David because we learn that God's plans for David are, once again, greater than David could have imagined for himself. In verses 11 through 13, we hear this really important promise for David. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now this passage narrates what becomes called the Davidic covenant. It's that unconditional promise of God to David that one of David's ancestors will establish an eternal kingdom. Now as Christians, we know this to be Jesus, that this is a prophecy of our coming Savior who was born into the lineage of David, whose life, death, and resurrection established the eternal kingdom of God for all people. And today, in 2021, we see how that promise in 2 Samuel 7, how vast and expansive and world-changing it is, we see how it shaped the whole world in leading to Jesus. But David, of course, couldn't see that. All David knew was that God was promising him a lasting legacy, children who would continue his kingdom, children who would help God's people prosper. And even that promise was a greater vision than David had asked for himself. And when you think of the enormity of this promise, of this covenant,
covenant and how it would bless millions of people over thousands of years, it's staggering to realize that this is how God works. When God works, God really works. God weaves together events across time and space to accomplish more than we could ever imagine. And if that is not enough to blow your mind, think about this. When you look at the promise that God made to David, God said, I will build you a house. And then you think about this promise in the scope of history, theology, we realize that God wasn't saying no to David's prayer at all, to David's plans, to David's wish. God was saying, David, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to answer you in a way that you can't even fathom. I'm going to build you a house, a temple for me, but it's going to be a different kind of house, a different kind of temple than you can imagine. Because we Christians believe that when Jesus rose from the dead, he promised to send the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit would dwell within us. And in Scripture, it talks about how we, through the Holy Spirit, are the temple of the living God. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see Paul discuss this. He writes in verses 19 through 22, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Another translation, the Common English Bible, translate that last verse, verse 22, is this. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. So through Jesus, you and I are a temple that houses the Spirit of the living God. So do you see? David wanted to build a temple for God. And in a mysterious way, over the course of a millennia, that is exactly what David's legacy did. Through the life, death, and resurrection of David's ancestor, Jesus, we are that temple for God. We are what David planned for, prayed for. So not only did God give David something better than he could have asked for, an eternal kingdom with his lineage, he also answered David's prayers eventually, in that mysterious way that only God can do. So you see, when God says no to our prayers, perhaps the story of David can remind us that it's not as simple, as cut and dry as it might seem at the time. Because we, each of us, every one of us, are a part of God's bigger story of saving the world. Our lives, every single one of us, is part of God's work to bring healing and restoration and salvation to the world. And this is the work that we are a part of, and it spans across millennia and space. So while we might never know how our prayers are answered in the long run, what we can know is that in the midst of the hurt and pain and anger, when it seems that God says no, we can trust in the simple truth 
that God is always working for good. For you, for us, for the world. My friend who suffered with infertility for years is now the mother of two children, though they are not her biological children, but she loves them as her own. My friend who worked at a diner after years of preparing for his dream career, he's now thriving in the field he prepared for, though in a different context than he had imagined. My friend who survived that awful divorce is now happily married to the man who she describes as the love of her life, though it took a bold move across the country to start over again to meet him. Is there always a happy ending when it seems God says no? I think that depends on how you define happy. We might not always get exactly what we plan for, exactly what we hope for, exactly what we pray for, but we will always get a God who loves us, who is with us, and who will work things for good. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we are humbled. We are surprised. We are grateful for the mysterious ways that you work. We are in awe of how your promises, how your interventions give blessing after blessing across millennia. And in these moments, sometimes our hearts might feel low or hurt because our plans are shattered, because our hope is waning, because we don't know what you are doing and everything feels like a storm. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would fill us with your hope, that you would remind us of all the ways that you have watched out for us and been faithful to us, that you would remind us that you are always, always working for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.